back. Welcome back to Theo Live, episode five. Done five of these things. Uh, if you are going to be hopping in here or maybe watching on the replay, I will say right off the bat that it'd be awesome to actually chat with you. Uh, this is kind of my point with the show. Uh, that being said, uh, some cool things are going on. Let me let me get this going over here. Look at this. Look at this. Look at that number. Can you, I can't zoom in, but look at that number. We are almost at 400. I am almost at 400 subscriptions. I don't take any of those for granted. That is really cool. But what my goal is with the show, as I have that animation play once again, uh, is that I want to be able to chat about theology with you. So whether you're here live, uh, I see that there are a few people here live, or uh, if you are going to be watching on the replay, hop into the comments. Let's talk about these things. I would love to know what you think about this. Um, got a lot of interesting stuff we're going to be talking about tonight. And uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But as we try to like maybe give a few people a little bit of a heads up that I'm live. I don't know why, but Ecamm. Everyone talks about Ecamm being like the best platform and I might leave it behind, to be honest. Um, 20 bucks a month, and for every time that I schedule a live stream and then I try to go live right on time, it's like, nah, you got to start over, start another live stream, have to retweak everything last second every single time for the last three episodes. So I don't know what that's about. Maybe it's an update, but it's frustrating. Uh, anyways, though, we got some things going on. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving from your friend in Canada. Yes, I consider us friends by now. If you're subscribed, if you're one of the almost 400, which is still, you know, to some people that's like, oh, you only have 400 subscribers. That's so cute. And like pat on the head. Uh, but to me, that's a lot. That means like 400 people decided I want to see more of this guy's stuff. And that's really cool. So I consider us friends at this point. Uh, but uh, you know, just happy Thanksgiving as I have little things popping up on my screen telling me, Hey, is this thing still going? Maybe. Um, yeah, I got a lot of Turkey today. I don't know if you're a big fan of Turkey. I'm not, uh, I'll take ham every single time I will. Cause ham is better. If you're watching right now, let me know. Is it ham? Or is it turkey? And why am I wrong? Because everyone likes turkey. Everyone puts it up as the best. But my here's my thing. You could eat ham on its own and be fine. You can't have turkey without gravy. It's like impossible. I think it's physically impossible to actually get that down your throat. So let me know if you actually like turkey. We had to have it. Uh, celebrating with fam. Super excited that we were actually able to do something this year. Last year was pretty sad last year it was just my immediate family upstairs having our little thanksgiving meal which was fine it was good but you miss like the bigger family get-togethers and thankfully we were able to do that didn't look like it for a couple days but yeah we were able to do it so happy thanksgiving and let's uh let's hop into some of these topics because we've got some interesting ones um Let's see, I got a little little banner thing. Eventually I'll get really good at pulling these things up and not drawing too much attention to it, but not yet. Uh, we got a couple topics that I want to talk about tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking about an article that Mark Golly Galley, I'm not sure how to say his name, but former editor-in-chief over at Christianity Today, he wrote, uh, I guess, a blog post. I think it's just on his website. Uh, and it's, it's got some stuff in it that I find very interesting, a lot about the future of evangelicalism and where we're going to be getting some of our best resources, some of, uh, just maybe, I don't know, just, uh, academic resources as well. And who's going to be the trustworthy source moving into the future? Is it going to be Christianity today? Is it going to be someone else? Uh, and I think it really gets into the whole idea of Big Eva. Because for some people, Big Eva is a real thing. 
maybe maybe that's you that you're just like all against big eva big evangelicalism you don't like the institutions uh i think mark galley is right there with you after his time there at christianity today so we'll be looking at that article and that'll lead us into talking a little bit about uh, a little a little thing that was thrown in uh, one of the recent episodes of the rise and fall of mars hill yes i know i'm still talking about mars hill it's it's interesting to me. So uh, I was interested to see what was said there. But also, it goes back to a video from 2010, I think. And we're going we're gonna to look at that video. And it's, it's kind of hard to find these days. I don't think people are too proud of that video. But we'll, we'll look at it. And that will lead us to our last topic, which is, is multi-site biblical? Whether you put a hyphen in there between multi and site or not, it's up to you. But is that a biblical practice for churches to have? Is it something that is a New Testament example? Um, we'll, we'll get into it. It'll be interesting. So uh, let me know what you think as we move along through these topics. And that being said, let's go into our first one here. And let's look at this report. Uh, so like I said, this is from Mark Galley. Galley, not sure exactly how to say his name, uh, but he was the former editor-in-chief at Christianity Today, and uh, now he's Catholic. So that kind of tells you a little bit of why he left. Um, I don't think at the time it was said because of that. He just said that he's going to be retiring. But at the same time, when someone so recently retires because he I mean, he wrote that article about uh, Donald Trump and how he shouldn't be elected or Christi Christians shouldn't be supporting him. And that got a lot of people upset. Uh, some people really enjoyed it. Uh, we're happy to see uh, the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today take that stance. And a lot of people were not happy about it. Uh, and then just a little while later, he ended up uh, resigning or retiring whatever you want to put, but he's been writing articles, I guess, for a while on his blog here, the Gali report. And, uh, here he got into, he got into it a little bit. He's, he's making some, uh, some, uh, ripples in the little lake here, but let's look here at a couple statements that he makes and ask really what's going on here. Because there are, there is again, this huge divide in Christianity we have so many splintering aspects of this, but we basically have uh, political lines, really. We have conservative Christians who are focused on conservative politics, and we have some liberal Christians, and honestly, they're focused on a lot of liberal politics, and depending on which side of the aisle you line up on, I mean, you could look at the other side and say, well, they're wrong. And uh, I think Mark Galley actually gets to the heart of this. And it's, it's pretty clear where he stands as we look at it. Uh, but I just want to look at a few different statements here as we get into this. So uh, he says here, elite evangelicalism represented by CT, so Christianity Today, uh, IV Press, World Vision, Fuller Seminary, and a host of other establishment organizations is too often a form of cultural accommodation dressed as convictional religion. So what Gali is doing, he's pointing at people uh, like Russell Moore. Uh, and uh, just even recently, he had an episode of his podcast that he just started, uh, I think, with Christianity Today. The Russell Moore show where he had Beth Moore come on and they kind of commiserated about a lot of their shared experiences when it comes to taking a stand on social justice topics. And, and uh, regardless of whether you are in agreement with that stand or not, they did face a lot of backlash together. And so they kind of commiserated about that. And so he's kind of pointing at them and he's kind of pointing at a few others. He gets into a little bit of uh, Doug Wilson over in Moscow, Idaho and focusing on him. And he's kind of just pointing out that there are, there are these political lines that we have in the church. And now they're starting to show quite a bit. And what he's really pointing at He's saying that a lot of these 
bigger institutions like Christianity Today, like IVP Press, uh, World Vision, all these guys, that they are the ones who are giving into culture. So like Russell Moore and Beth Moore giving into culture that they're trying to appease uh, people and he's going to, uh, you know, pull out names like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, uh, the Atlantic, uh, publishers like that, and say that you're just trying to get in with these people. So you're trying to act like what you're saying is a religious conviction, but really it's a political leaning and you're trying to uh, kind of get into the same party, if you will, as those others and try to fit in. And I think it's interesting that, you know, someone who is in charge of Christianity Today is actually pointing at Christianity Today and saying that they're elite evangelicals, um, to which I have a little bit of an issue with because I'm looking at it and I'm saying, uh, I, don't, I don't know if what you can say there is that they are elite evangelicals. I don't know really where that term even comes from. Uh, there's evangelical. Uh, now, if you want to talk about evangelicals that have a platform, I guess that's something. Uh, and we could talk about platforms and who should have a platform. But to just like kind of dump on this title of elite uh, to an institution that just until a couple of years ago he was in charge of, or at least one of one of the main hands on the wheel, if you will. Uh, so. It's interesting that he kind of points at them and says, no, they're the elites. I'm, you know, standing apart from them because I no longer go there. And of course, he's standing apart uh, even further as he's gone uh, to be in the Catholic Church. But uh, a little later, he makes the statement. Um, I should have highlighted these things. But uh, here he says, uh, the mark of a successful evangelical writer is to get published regularly in the Times, uh, Atlantic, and so forth. So he's really pointing the finger at these guys and saying, like, this is what they want. They just want to get, you know, into these circles of the liberal elite, or maybe even you could put it as the secular elite and that they just want to be looked at as having credibility with them because the world looks kindly on those institutions. And so that's what uh, all these uh, writers are really trying to get. Um, once again, I have to push back on that a little bit and say, well, we don't know the motives for every single writer He's, he's just kind of dumping this on writers and saying, this is really what they want. And a little bit, I'll, I'll also say, like, why shouldn't they? Like, isn't that good? <laughs> isn't that good for a writer to get the gospel out, even through mediums that maybe uh, historically have been somewhat uh, oppositional to the Christian faith? Isn't that a good thing to be able to get the gospel in front of those people and to represent the Christian faith to them? Uh, so maybe it's not even just about the gospel, but you're talking about Christian ethics being worked out in the world, uh, to which I would, I would refer them back to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus very clearly saying that my followers are going to have certain ethics. I call them kingdom ethics and that they will then share that with the world, I think that's a pretty good thing. Now, if it's their only goal, then, you know, there's a problem there of just trying to build up uh, a platform for themselves and pride, but that can also happen at different institutions. Uh, he goes further with it and says, what's interesting about such pieces is that A, such writers make a point that affirms the view of the secular publication on topics like environmental care, racial, justice, uh, racial injustice, sexual abuse, etc. Um, let's stop there and also say that uh, we don't know exactly, again, what their motives are. And he's just kind of saying like, oh, they all just agree with the publication. Well, isn't that like a necessity of being published in that publication? 
I mean, they're not going to be bringing someone who has a totally contrary viewpoint on whatever topic is being written about uh, and saying, let's get that in front of our readers. Obviously, that's not going to work. People will be outraged. Their fan base, their uh, their base will then be outraged. So why, of course, what they're going to do is going to agree with the organization on that particular point. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that the writer has to agree with all of the, the publisher's point of view. There are plenty of writers, whether it's Crossway, Tyndale, you know, name, name your publisher and you will have people who disagree with that publisher on certain ideas, but on that particular project, they're in agreement with. So I don't see what, what the big deal is on that. And then he says, and B, they preach in such pieces that evangelicals should take the same point of view. However, their writing doesn't reach the masses of evangelicals who take a contrary view and give uh, D what the New York Times says. Yeah, he's gone full Catholic there. <laughs> if these writers really are interested in getting those evangelicals to change their minds, the last place they should be is in the mainstream press. Well, sure, if that's their point. If if their main point, like I agree with this, if their main point is to uh, get, you know, evangelicals to just agree with them, then sure, like they should go to where evangelicals are reading, but I don't think that's their point. Or at least I know if I was writing an article which they wouldn't have me write an article. I'm not a good writer. Uh, that's why I do these videos, and hopefully I'll be getting better at these videos, <laughs> but not very good at that quite yet. I'm, I'm getting there. Um, be kind in the comments. Uh, but looking at this, like, of course, you know, if I was writing something, I would be wanting to get my stuff in front of the audience I'm trying to uh, persuade. You know, so whether it's evangelicals, then yes, I would go to an evangelical publication where I could get as many eyes on that article as possible uh, that I want to persuade. But a lot of them are probably trying to persuade the secular world. And that is a good thing. We are supposed to be in the world in a way to where we're not giving in, sure. And I think that's Golly's main focus is that he thinks that uh, these writers and publications are giving into culture and the, there's a big debate that can happen there. I'm not, this isn't about that. Uh, but I think that that is a problem, but it's a potential problem. It doesn't always have to occur. There are individuals who can write in the world and be able to keep their points of view biblical points of view intact and still be able to get their message to a secular audience. Um, this to me screams of legalism, just the idea of, Oh, well we have to stay as far away as possible because we will get infected if you will. Well, not necessarily true. Uh, we know that yes, there is a danger as you try to interact with the world. But of course, Jesus said it. Uh, we are not to be out of the world. Otherwise, he would have taken us out. No, we're here. We are in the world, but not of the world. And so, yes, we want to be able to reach people in this world. And, and I think part of that is being able to have people who have thought through these things. Um, and I'm not saying that everyone who's been published in the Atlantic and the New York Times had this point of view, but we should be able to have Christians, evangelicals, who have these good biblical points of view and be able to communicate that in a secular world and use secular mediums in order to communicate that biblical message. I think that's totally appropriate. And what I see here is like, no, that, that's a potential danger, so we have to stay as far away from it as possible. And to me, my background, that just, that just smells a lot like legalism, just keep as far away as possible, uh, the type of fundamentalist approach. Uh, so he, he goes even further uh, here. He says, uh, as for the alternative group uh, to lead evangelicals in the future, uh, where is that? Uh, I think it's here toward the bottom. Yeah. 
As for the alternative group to lead evangelicals in the future, it will have to be a group with some intellectual and psychological backbone, which is true. That, that's true, especially in this world. If we want to be able to have that impact, we're going to have to have writers who are writing on these topics who are smart, who are uh, witty, that they're able to say these things in a winsome way to be able to persuade the secular world on these topics. And they're going to have to be tough. And he points to people like Doug Wilson. Uh, I don't really want to go too far down the rabbit hole with Doug Wilson. I'll just say I am definitely not a fan of his ministry. If you are, that's fine. You're welcome to have that point of view. For me, uh, when it comes to uh, sexual ethics. I have a lot of big questions on some of the things that he has taught to me. That is enough to just be like, no, moving on. And here he points to him and says like, yes, he does have an intellectual, a psychological backbone, but he says, but not so idiosyncratic. In other words, just, uh, so individualistic and just kind of focused on his one point of view, and that kind of limits his scope. He, he writes about that earlier. Um, but he says that the, the people to look for into the future, you know, this is the former guy of, of Christianity Today, is not Christianity Today. He says that he'd offer the Gospel Coalition. It is a major force that someday could supplant Christianity Today as the major intellectual voice of conservative Christianity. Is that true? You know, we're going to have to have these kinds of resources moving into the future. We want to be able to have, um, you know, uh, publications like magazines, websites, uh, now moving into podcasts and just being able to get good, solid teaching and good, solid viewpoints out into the world, but also have that be so robust that it doesn't just collapse under the weight of the pressure of the world saying, no, you have to agree with this, uh, ethic on, you know, sexuality or, um, you know, uh, some political viewpoint, you, you want it to be robust enough to where it's not just going to collapse under that weight because there will be pressure. And I think he gets that very right in this article that he's written, that there is going to be more and more pressure. But at the same time, is it the Gospel Coalition that's going to be that? Um, I honestly don't know. I don't know if it's going to be the Gospel Coalition. Uh, I think that they've done some things. Uh to really pigeonhole themselves. They've got, you know, people upset about different topics. I mean, especially everything related to Rona. Uh, they, they got, they got some haters going to be honest. (laughs) A lot of people very upset about the gospel coalition and where they stand on social justice, where they stand on lockdowns, where they stand on all these different topics. And then you also have just the, the fumbling of, um, you know, like their handling of Mark Driscoll, which is something that we'll talk about in just a minute. James McDonald, people forget that he was a big part of the Gospel Coalition back in the day. Uh, Chris Mahaney or CJ Mahaney, uh, Joshua Harris. Uh, I mean, even, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure maybe I'm getting this wrong. Fact check me if you're watching this. I'm pretty sure Ravi Zacharias was at some TGC things as well. Um, They've got they've got a lot of a lot of bones in the closet to be honest, and I think that you have a certain demographic. I think if we're just going to split it up, I think it is a little simplistic. But just for the sake of time, to split it up as far as conservatives and liberals, you have a lot of liberals who are upset about you know how they had all these individuals, Darren Patrick also as part of, you know, the founding of TGC and some of the early stuff. And I mean, it's only a couple of years ago where they had CJ Mahaney and everything that happened at Sovereign Grace. Uh, you have all those individuals there who are upset about those things. And then you have on the conservative side, a lot of people who are upset about, like I said, the lockdowns, Rona, uh, social justice issues, racial injustice, all of that kind of stuff. I don't know. 
when I look at the future, I'm not sure if I see one institution. And that's what Golly is saying here. He says basically that there needs to be one institution that is going to stand up to all this political tidal waves uh, that are coming at us from the world. There has to be these robust systems in place and we need these institutions. So who's that going to be? I don't know. When I look at the future, I, th- I see things shrinking down. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking churches, I'm thinking institutions, I'm thinking things are becoming very tribal, uh, to where there's, yes, it's the gospel, but there's also, you know, where do you stand on issues like complementarianism? That's going to divide people. Uh, where do you stand on Calvinism? That's going to, uh, to divide people even further. Where do you stand on the, the role of the government in the church? Whether you stand on churches must gather every single Sunday all together, and we'll get into that even in just a few minutes. Uh, but we've got a lot of different issues, social justice issues, racial injustice issues, I mean, so many different things. Sexual abuse, where do you stand on that? We have Christians who believe the gospel lining up on all these different things. And I think that we're going to see institutions shrink and become much more narrowed in who they're trying to serve. It's not going to be, I I don't think, it's going to be the gospel coalition. And that kind of stands for everyone who believes the gospel. I kind of wish that we could have it that way to where we wouldn't be divided over some of these secondary issues as much. They're important. We can discuss them. We could have stances on them, but to separate over them um, when it comes to just uh, parachurch organizations, not necessarily churches, uh, but just having some kind of influence in the world. I wish that we could stand like that, but it looks like as we move into the future, we're going to become much more narrowed. We're going to become much more splintered And different organizations are going to have to talk about different things. Not every organization is probably going to be as prepared to talk about certain topics in a winsome way uh, that would be able to persuade the secular world. Uh, So I think that's interesting. I think that uh, Mark Galley has a lot of interesting things to say. Uh, I'm not sure if his conclusion is accurate on the Gospel Coalition being uh, that that future, I don't know, mothership of institutions that's going to give us uh, a lot of robust thinking and challenge the secular world's viewpoints. I'm not sure if that's the case. I think it's going to be uh, something much smaller, and there'll be many different voices rather than one big organization. What do you think? I would be interested to know. Uh, let me know by hopping into the comment section if you're watching with me live. Uh, I'm not here to try to like stump people. If, if you have a viewpoint, I want to talk about it. And so if you're watching here and you're like, Oh, I agree. I disagree. We can chat about that. We can be charitable about that. And that's kind of why I want to keep doing this show. It's fun for me. I love talking about theology. If it was just me talking with my wife, I'd still be talking as much and talking about the same things. So this just gives me an outlet, basically, and saves my wife some frustration. Uh, let's let's talk about this second thing because, you know, Mark Galley he's talking about uh, the Gospel Coalition as maybe the bright the bright future, if you will, of evangelicalism. That maybe that's the shining beacon that's going to be the one mothership of all institutions that's going to save us from the secular world. I'm kind of being little cheeky with it, but, um, uh, some gospel coalition stuff has been going on lately. There's been a video, uh, that I remember watching back in the day. Like, I mean, this was like 2009, 2010, something like that. I think Colin Hansen says something in the podcast about what year it was. Um, but there's a video that maybe even as I just get it going over here that you might recognize right off the bat. Do you remember this video? I remember this video. I remember watching it the first time and being like, how did they let this get out there? How do they publish this? What are they thinking? This looks so bad. Uh, but it was said in the, 
I think it was the latest episode of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. They referenced this video and I've actually been waiting. I've been waiting for someone to talk about this video because like I said, when I first saw it back in the day, I was, I I remember showing it to a friend and just being like, I can't believe they actually let this get on the internet. And they were like proud of it because it does not look good for anyone not named Mark Dever. (laughs) Uh, But here we have a video of Mark Dever, James McDonald and Mark Driscoll. And they're sitting around the table and they're having a chat about multi-site churches. And this was brought up in the most recent rise and fall of Mars Hill episode, like I just said. And I think it's interesting. I think we we should just watch this and we can see a lot both about James McDonald and Mark Driscoll. And we could actually see quite a bit about Mark Dever and it'll lead us into our next conversation, which will be about multi-site churches and whether they're biblical. Uh, so stick around for that. Uh, but let's, let's kind of watch this thing and we'll pause it and we'll talk about it as we're going. Uh, so let's just hop into uh, it. 10, hoping to open 11 this summer. Great. And how many services? 24-ish. Yeah, we got five sites going to six. We have 13 going to 15 weekend services. You know, more than 10,000 people in both of our churches. Hundreds and hundreds of decisions for Christ every year. Praise God, baptized. And, Look at Mark uh, here Dever. It I love it. <laughs> like, um, Mark Dever is maybe one of my favorite pastors ever. Uh, I love his theology. I love his preaching. And I just love his humor. <laughs> I, I find him to be a really funny guy. Uh, but you could just tell on his face, he's already like, where are we going with this thing? Because <laughs> the conversation is multi-site churches. And immediately, right off the bat, James McDonald is just like setting setting all the cards against him, being like, well, we've got thousands and thousands of people and so many decisions for Christ. And you, you can hear hear the arrogance already starting with this and basically he's already making the pitch that the reason why multi-site churches are biblical at least from his viewpoint is because it works and this is the way he starts the conversation brother mentor theological genius when his book on church polity came out, I was like, are you kidding me? I couldn't oh, write. James, it never, would take my whole life to write Come on, come on, take, come on. Probably I couldn't even carry it, let alone read it. It's so full. You're, you're like smarter than I'll ever be. So, but you don't have multi-site. Oh, my goodness. You don't even have multi-services. Oh, what's going but on? But you certainly could fill more if you had them with your amazing gift of preaching. And I know. Whoa. Did you hear that? That little slip. Man. Yes. Yes, man. Broderick Perkins hopping in here. Uh, thanks for hopping in. Law is smirk. I always say law. I don't say LOL. I don't think that's an actual word. So I say law. Uh, law is smirk. <laughs> yeah. He, he's, uh, he's a little like, okay, where is this thing going? But did you hear what James McDonald just said? He just looked at Mark Dever and he's basically being like, look how many people we have coming to our churches, how many people are coming to Jesus, whether that's genuine or not, we don't know. He's just asserting that. Um, But he's saying, look at all this. Why don't you do it? Because you could do it. You could have the same numbers as us because of what? Your preaching gift. I mean, already you can tell where James McDonald was, where Mark Dever was, in saying that it is up to the senior pastor to be able to move the church in a way to build it. Well, that goes against directly what Jesus said about his church. And Jesus Jesus is kind of the expert when it comes to his church. And he says that I will build my church. He doesn't say I will uh, you know, give you a, a gift for preaching and you can build your own church. No, we aren't. You know, there are so many so many, some of the best preachers I have ever heard are from these little churches that no one has ever heard of outside of that town. You know, the, it's not these guys with the huge platforms. Now, some of them have very good uh, sermons. They, they have uh, an excellent, um, you know, ability to be able to bring the word of God to people. So there's absolutely that. And I would say that if you are a very talented preacher, if God has given you that talent, uh, 
then yeah, you're probably more likely. But he basically just said, well, you could have the numbers that we're having, but you've chosen not to. You've chosen not to bring those people to Jesus. Why is that? I think it's interesting that he put it that way. People are coming to Christ in your church. You're planting churches. So you've obviously decided differently than we've decided. Yeah. We'll tell you why we're right in a minute, but you tell us why you're doing it the way you are. All right. The word ecclesia in the New Testament means assembly. According to? The Bible. I mean, no. I think... <laughs> Uh, that's one of my favorite moments of all time in any of these things. Uh, I just love that. I remember laughing so hard the first time I, I saw that because, yes, he's talking about the church and they're trying like this is the gospel coalition. This isn't just, you know, buddies hanging out and having a conversation. He's trying to have an actual conversation about why he doesn't do multi uh, multi site and why he thinks it's biblical to not do multi-site and he's bringing, you know, obviously going to the word of God and saying that, you know, this is what it means. Ecclesia means assembly, a gathering. And, and uh, you know, Mark Dever hopping in right off the bat and saying, well, says who? Uh, the Bible. <laughs> That's what it means. Uh, let's hear Broderick coming in again. Amen. The toxicity of church culture sometimes. Yeah, man. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's see if I go. Who? I mean, I like you. I just want you a little bit smaller. Just fixing it a little bit. All right. Uh, let, let's keep on going here. Come on, lexical no, use. It, it a... means assembly. <laughs> so like in Acts, 16, in Acts 18, when there's the riot in Ephesus, According they have an assembly. Yeah, but even, but, even, but, even, but, even, but even if it means assembly. This is supposed to be like a conversation, like you and me having a conversation and, you know, just being thoughtful. And right off the bat, we have two guys who obviously have a certain point of view going against one guy who has a different point of view. And they're just saying, according to who? According to who? It's like, it's what the word means. Um, but it's just interesting, though, the arrogance that they have. And just the, the tone that they have in this conversation when, I mean, have you ever seen a theological discussion that was put out by one organization have something like this? This is why I was like at the time being like, why did they put this out? This is just like them fighting. Even if it means assembly, it doesn't, it doesn't mean one and only assemble, all assembled together. And not the whole yeah, I mean, church is present at that time. Anyways, you, you have children's yeah, ministry? It does mean that. Yeah. Okay, so they're assembled in a different place. That. You've already broken that code. Yeah. Just well, break it again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that uh, we have an assembly, and what we want to do with more assemblies is have more elders and more preachers. So we do want to have more people come to Christ. And we okay, do. That, that works good for the guy who's hoarding, the guy who's building this big multi-site, multi-site, multi-site thing, but never plants churches. But you're yeah. preaching to the wrong choir if you're going yeah. to say, did you plant any churches, Mark? A uh, couple. Yeah, we've planted some too. So we're, we believe, we agree with you that you should but be raising up James, other preachers. But James, when you've got a multi-site and you could have somebody else preaching there, why not have somebody else preaching there? Very good point. Uh, so what he's doing right now is he's trying to push back against their arguments, really just them yelling, and just say, hey, you know, don't you see, like, this is building up one person. And, and you know, they're not having it. They're saying, well, we've planted churches. You know, you're not talking about people building up a kingdom. Well, if you listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, you could see very clearly that, yeah, uh, there's someone who's very concerned about getting to 50,000. And then you hear what came out of Harvest and the elders. These are elders from Harvest. That was James McDonald's church uh, coming out and saying like, hey, we have, or was it Vertical Church? They, they had a name change, didn't they? Uh, but they came out and said, well, hey, uh, this guy, he's been, you know, really focused on numbers and you could see it even here. Uh, so he's trying to be like, oh, you're not talking about you know, to kingdom builders because we planted churches. Eh. We plant churches and we do multi-site. See, it's and, 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 and not and. one, one, one. And I do think that in one geographical region, like I've been in Chicago for 25 years now, I do think that there's a level of influence. The reason I'm planning a church in Kansas City and in North Carolina and in Miami and in Minneapolis and whatever is because I, I don't have a thing there. I don't have any influence. I. Where's the focus once again? You know, like it's it's one thing for a multi-site church and wanting to get more people. Totally understandable. We are supposed to go out with the gospel and their methodology might be different. And 
I'm kind of showing my cards of where I stand on this as we get into the conversation a little bit. Uh, but I think it's interesting that he's saying it's about me. I don't have any influence over in Miami. I don't know what the city is like. So they, they don't know who I am. They, I don't have credibility. Well, let's be honest. Who are then your target audience? Because I can guarantee you people in Chicago who have never gone to church, they don't know who James McDonald is. They don't. They don't care who he is. He's just some pastor. So who then is the target audience? Well, it would be Christians because they might know who James McDonald is. Uh, let's let's hear. We got a question here from Broderick. Well, I don't know why it got so big again. Let's go over here. Question. What do you think the problem is with some churches, ministries, lack of discipleship, lack of accountability from leadership, more concern with numbers, lack of understanding of the gospel? Um, I mean, I, I, yes. <laughs> uh, when it comes to like this particular issue, Broderick, I would say that I think a lot of those things are the problems. I don't, I don't know if it's just like one thing. Uh, or one of these specific things that you mentioned, I think that there's like a lot of focus on the leadership, a lot of lack of accountability for that leadership, that they're given too much power, too much authority uh, within the church. And there's no way to, you know, do a checks and balances. And then they just get lifted up with pride. And man, that does so much. Uh, you know, I'm reminded actually of, uh, um, uh, was it John Bunyan? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting exactly who it was. I think it was John Bunyan, uh, but he, he struggled with pride. At least he says he did. Uh, and so he, he would have people after a sermon, you know, uh, shaking hands in the back, if you will, and coming over and saying, pastor, uh, that was a great sermon. And one time he responded by saying, the devil already told me that. And, and I, I've, that stuck with me every time I hear something like that, like good sermon, Pastor Dean, uh, I've always been like, hmm, don't, don't get lifted up. Um, because it's an easy thing to have happen when you are on a public platform, even like here, um, even here on YouTube, you know, people say good job and like, I want that. I want to do a good job. Uh, or I like this video. Um, if you're watching right now, definitely give the video a like, uh, but, uh, it's an easy thing for us to get affirmation and just blowed up with pride. And these people, they get this from thousands of people. And so I think that's a huge problem. Just our, our sinful tendencies, is such a huge factor when it comes to like megachurch pastors and, and you know, uh, we hear all these different stories, whether it's Mark Driscoll, James McDonald, um, you know, all these different guys uh, that we hear about all the time, Ravi Zacharias. It doesn't even have to be a pastor, uh, but I think that's a huge part of it. And then there's accountability. I think that there's immaturity in a lot of these churches to elevate someone to that, that height. Uh, so there's a lot that goes into it, but yeah, I would definitely say, uh, a lot of the things that you're mentioning here, uh, would definitely fit, uh, right into that Broderick. Those are really good points. Things that people need to be considering for sure. Uh, let's, let's keep on going here. These big cities are such a perplexity to all of us. And where I have a lot of influence, if I can in my lifetime cash that influence, I believe that people will go and hear me in that region where I've built up hopefully a test, uh, reputation for um, being a trustworthy source of spiritual nourishment, I believe that there's something that I've built there that I can extend. But where, where it involves a new city where I'm nothing, then let someone else there uh, go there and do that. Well, so you say he's, he's where I am nothing, let someone else go. The church isn't about you. This the church is about Jesus. It's it's not about one teacher. And, and this is one of those things, like I remember, like I said, as I watched this the first time years and years ago, I remember just being like, what did he just say? Like where I'm nothing, then send someone? Whew, man. He's known in a lot of places, so he would have multi-sites in other places Wait, too. So just to be clear, so you're saying you, you have started a church in Miami? Yeah. Uh -huh. And 
Why not make that an evangelistic event rather than a church? Well, obviously, because we're called to plant churches. That's the model in the New Testament, the book of Acts. That's why I'm not starting hospitals or driving mercy ships, even though I think those things are good. You know, the mission of missions is the church, and the mission of the church is missions. So our... Uh, I had cut this up a little bit, but uh, I think I uploaded the wrong one. Oh, I have no question about church plants. We've got multi... Uh, I, I remember there's something... We don't control right those churches. Here. They're autonomous, self-governing. Yeah. One in Albuquerque. Okay, now okay, in Albuquerque, yes. Mark, surely you would rather have some other guy raised up there to preach the gospel who can actually pastor that church. He was, and then he okay. um, decided to become multi-site, and it went from, I don't know, maybe 200 to 500 in about six months. Um, it's freed him up to shepherd. He, the, the guys... Did you hear that? I think, I think we'll quit with this video here in just a second, but over and over again, just as we're just getting a little clip, this is a 12 minute video. Uh, it's just over and over again. It's arrogance from James McDonald and Mark Dever, uh, a weird attacking spirit toward their brother. Who's they're just supposed to be having this conversation and then a focus on numbers on getting the job done, if you will, and saying this is what it means to be successful. You know, he's talking about this this church plant that they had in Albuquerque and how they did have a teaching elder down there um, because, you know, it's Albuquerque. And like what James McDonald was saying, I'm not, you know, big in Albuquerque for Mark, Dev or, uh, Mark Driscoll. Uh, he's from Seattle. So he's, you know, he doesn't know the culture down there. And so they did have a teaching elder, but then they switched it to him. And what happened? Well, there was growth. So we went with that and it's freedom up to do other duties. Well, we'll get into it in just a minute, but an elder, a teaching elder, needs to be apt to teach and needs to teach to the congregation is how they exercise their biblical authority over the congregation. Yes, not absolute authority. Uh, it is constrained. We see that in Acts chapter 6, that the congregation agreed. Uh, they don't get to do just whatever they want, at least coming from a Reformed Baptist perspective. That is my viewpoint. Um, but... There is authority there, and that authority is when they open up the Word of God and teach it to the congregation. And if you're not doing that, you're not a New Testament church. I preach about 25% of the time. I preach about 75% of the time. There's a full elder team there. Every single thing that you would say qualifies as a required yeah. mark of the church happens at the local campus. Okay, just can I ask you some questions about this? Yeah. Are you concerned that it builds people too much into you particularly? No, actually, it does the opposite. If I'm not, I mean, they're more addicted to you. They have to come talk to you, shake your hand, be yeah. in the same room yeah. with you, get around the Shekinah glory. And yeah. I, for <laughs> me, I'm not even there. So they're not, they have to be on mission because I'm not there. We find that the giving, small group participation, church membership, and service is higher at a video campus than where I preach live. Consumers come to see us. Missionaries go elsewhere. They don't care if we're there or not. That's a pretty huge point. He's saying that it's less about him yeah. in a church where all yeah. he is is the 75% teacher. And you're <laughs> What? <laughs> it is less about him where he is only the 75% teacher. Th that's the viewpoint of these individuals. They're just... They're just trying to wiggle out so far and actually throughout this whole video, 12 minutes of them having a discussion. Nowhere does Mark Driscoll or James McDonald actually bring up scripture. They don't do it. One, because I think they know they're going against a heavyweight with uh, Mark Dever, uh, that he knows what he believes about this. Uh, and he has lots of verses to bring as he was trying to do in the beginning. But also, it's just like the arrogance that they have and just focus on, well, we get results. We get results. We get people coming in, and that makes it an okay thing for us to do. Because after all, don't we just want people to come to Jesus? And the answer would be, yeah, we want people to come to Jesus. But even as Broderick just mentioned a couple minutes ago, a lack of discipleship, we want people to grow into Jesus, not just to follow Jesus for the first time. 
to begin that process of following Jesus and become an actual Christian. But we want them to continue in the Christian faith. And I think as, uh, you know, Mars Hill collapsed, you know, there are still a few churches that were, uh, you know, different campuses of Mars Hill. Um, but I think you would see the impact in saying how many of those people are still following Jesus and the numbers are not what we would want. Not what we would want at all. But let's let's come back to this idea. We could we can continue talking about that uh, for a long time and going through that video. I thought about just watching the whole thing, but it's it's long when you're breaking it up. Uh, but I want us to talk about um, I want us to talk about this idea of multi-site, multi-site churches, and are they biblical? Well, first, let's remember what a multi-site church is. A multi-site church is one church meeting in several locations uh, that they have uh, a shared mission. They have a shared statement of faith and they share eldership. Uh, they share uh, leadership. So whether it's deacons or serving teams or, you know, just staff uh, they, they have those in common. They have shared finances and they're basically one church that meets in several different locations. Um, now you can see that there would be some positives to that, especially when you have someone like a Mark Driscoll, uh, or a Perry Noble, uh, someone who, uh, is relatable to the audience, uh, whether you're talking about Christian or secular, uh, but getting people in, if you have a name like that, that is a bigger draw than Dean Lentini as the senior pastor of this church. It just is. Uh, I would love for that to be different, but let, let's be honest. Uh, these uh, bigger names, of course, get more people coming in. And so there are advantages because you do get more people to come in. But as someone who cares about the word of God, and I hope that you watching this, that if you're watching Theo live, I hope that you care about Theo. I hope you care about God. I hope that you care about theology. Uh, I hope that you care about what God has revealed to us. And so our, I mean, the, the primary place that we go to is back to the word of God and asking, is this a biblical practice? Because uh, we're not in the business of success not in the business of getting as many people crammed into a stadium to hear the gospel as possible. If it was just about numbers, we can get all the Christians in one place, right? But we want them to come to saving faith in Jesus and continue to follow Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves, is this an actual biblical practice that doesn't follow New Testament example? And the sad fact of the matter is that it doesn't. It doesn't follow New Testament example. We don't have anywhere in Scripture where we have uh, one church meeting in different locations. We have gatherings where it is the church. One church. Even when we have like the church in Jerusalem, if there was any church in the New Testament that it would profit them to meet in several locations, it would be the church in Jerusalem. And even still, we see them gathering all together. And yes, there are meetings in home to home, but we don't see that as the, the worship, the primary worship experience of that New Testament church. Uh, we see those as fellowshipping because that's what the word is used for, that they are going and having fellowship with one another from house to house. But when it comes to worship gatherings, we always see that there are elders and following after Acts chapter 6, there are then deacons, so there's a leadership, and that they are meeting in one location. Not many locations, one location. Now, um, I think where we fall into the idea of building a kingdom, I think that's when we become unbiblical. Uh, but there is a big difference between going against Scripture and not following all of Scripture. Let me let me explain that a little bit. Uh, I don't think that some of these multi-site churches 
are unbiblical churches, that they don't fit the qualifications of what it means to be a church, I would just look at them and say, well, that group there is a church. This one over there is another church. This one over there is another church. It's not like they disqualify themselves from being uh, a church when they follow after this idea of multi-site. I would say that each one, if they have elders, if the the preaching of the word is there, uh, specifically in that congregation, uh, and they're exercising... um, uh, communion, they're they're doing the ordinances. Uh, then that is the New Testament church. So each one of those locations, I would consider to be a New Testament church. And whether they want to share the same name, that's that's on them. Uh, but I think when it comes to like these issues of building, you know, a multi-site where it's you know a screen is their pastor. Um, you know that pastor doesn't come and interact with those people. Uh, I would say that that is, at worst, it's a lack of trust in, uh, or at best, it's a lack of trust in those local elders, uh, so campus pastors or whoever, that they're not being allowed to preach to their congregation. Uh, And at worst, it would be kingdom building uh, of just not caring really about Jesus but caring about themselves. And I think that it's pretty clear as you listen to everything that's happened with uh, Mars Hill and especially with James McDonald, uh, that's really where their minds were at. Uh, So are multi-site churches uh, biblical? I would say no. Uh, That doesn't mean that they're unbiblical, but it does mean that if you have elders at that church and that makes it that church and they should be preaching, uh, I'll, I'll just go here if you're saying like, well, where do you see that in scripture? First uh, Peter chapter five, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the suffering of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Shepherd the flock among you. That is what Peter is communicating here. That is the key. I I think this is the only scripture uh, passage that you need to go to in order to combat this idea of having a screen feeding in someone a pastor, a senior pastor that you've never met that you can't go and have coffee with as your senior pastor. I I think that this is it. Shepherd God's flock among you. You got to be among them. You got to be with them. And if you're not with them, then I would say that you're not their pastor. And then you have a problem of your elders not actually teaching you, uh, not not preaching the word for you, not feeding the flock. And then there becomes a larger problem of, you know, what what does this mean for a pastor to not feed the flock and, and the responsibilities that a pastor has to his congregation is, yes, that they need to be feeding the flock. And at the very basic level, they got to be there with them. Now, I would also say for someone who would say, oh, well, this also takes out the idea of online church and zoom church. Um, I would say that if it's only ever zoom, that it's only ever online, uh, then I would say that there's some real problems. Uh, but I do believe that if you have the ability to know that pastor, that he is your pastor, that you can talk with him And whether you're gathering physically in a location or you're gathering online and having meaningful interaction where you can exercise all of the components of what it means to be a New Testament church, a lot of platforms are not that way. If you're just watching Facebook as church, uh, I don't think that's a New Testament church. Uh, If you are interacting And being able to do the same things that you would do on a Sunday morning and then having meaningful interaction with one another throughout the week, 
then I would say that that is a totally different story. And if that pastor who is preaching to you on the screen, uh, if he knows you, he knows your family, he interacts with you, you interact with him, you can get together and have coffee, I would say that is a New Testament church. Um, It's not that it's always online. That's the key. Not always online. But if you have to go online for a couple Sundays or... um, you know, some, something in the future makes it so that we have to do that that way. I would, I would say that it doesn't disqualify you as a new Testament church. If that is not the norm, if the norm is still being able to have that interaction throughout the week and being able to know one another. Uh, so where you can do things like church discipline, where you can know what's going on in each other's lives and be able to hold your brother or sister accountable or your elder accountable. Think about that with some of these mega church um, uh, situations. You can't do church discipline. How can you church discipline someone you never met? I just think about that. Uh, there was, there was someone talking about what happened, um, uh, with Bethlehem and, and how they were asked to do church discipline and they had never met that individual. It's like, how do you do that? How do you know that person and hold them accountable like without having a relationship, I don't, I don't know how you can practice church discipline in that kind of a format. Um, but if you know that individual, maybe it is through a screen, but you know, that individual, you know, their life, you're interacting with them in meaningful ways. Uh, not just chatting, you know, I'm here for Sunday, you know, happy Sunday church, not just that, but actually interacting. I think that would be totally different. I'll see what Broderick has to say. Man, not going to lie, I kind of get tired of the church building, and it got hard for me to get plugged in for a while because of seeing cool, trendy appeal and the fake Sunday smiles and shallow community. Bro, you are not alone, man. Not alone at all. Uh, I've been there. I've been there. Uh, I think a lot of churches, you know, people people talk about, like, not to go too far down the rabbit hole with online church, but people talk about it as, as, oh, you can't have meaningful, you know, relationship. You know, you can't do what you do on a normal Sunday. And to which I would say, how many of those individuals, you know, end up talking about the weather for five minutes and then awkwardly sitting down and not talking to anybody? You know, is that like, it's, how is that different? You know? Uh, so I, I totally get you. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes to commit, uh, to going and being a part of a local church, but we all need it. Uh, here where in my city, where I'm at, I'll be fully transparent with you. We are working on a church plant and for the last year, you know, we haven't had, uh, that community of faith around us, you know, as we were just getting ready to plant and then Corona happened. Um, it's, it's been hard. Uh, so we're, we're just now getting ready to launch again. And, uh, it's, it's, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the interaction of being with people rather than just on a screen. Uh, but you know, it's true. There's a lot of times that people just put on smiles and you say, how are you doing? And everyone says good. And on the inside, that's probably not what's going on. We need to be real with one another. And whether that's on a screen for a little while or whether that's in, you know, this 3d life, uh, in a, in physical way of being with one another. Um, yeah, it matters. It matters to be plugged in. I'd encourage you to get plugged in. If you have a good biblical new Testament church in your town, not every town does. Um, but yeah, that's why we need to plant churches, not more sites, not more multi-sites. Uh, I'll, I'll just see if anyone else has any questions or anything uh, before I hop off here. Uh, We talked a lot about different things. I'm glad with what we were able to do. I love doing this. I'm going to keep on doing it. I know, um, like I said, you know, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. I'm pretty proud of it, man. Uh, Let's, let's make sure no one's uh, unsubscribed. I don't know what that's about. Um, 
Let's make sure no one's unsubscribed from uh, the channel while we've been. Well, well okay. <laughs> there we go. Maybe one person didn't like what I had to say and unsubscribe. Uh, I go up and down, but I'm really excited to hit 400 because after that, 500. And after that, 1,000. And after that, 10,000. And after that, you know, I don't know, probably probably not going to get there, <laughs> but I really enjoy doing this. So, uh, I'm excited to keep on going here on Monday nights and hopefully, you know, we can build up a little bit of community. Broderick, thanks for hopping in, uh, with all the chats and, uh, um, come back next Monday, man. Uh, we can chat some more about theology, chat some more about life. And if you have a topic, here's something I'm also interested in knowing if you have a topic that you would like for me to cover, then, uh, yeah, let me know, leave it in the comments, write a comment down below and be like, Hey, you know, this is something that I've been thinking about. I'd love for you to talk about that. And we can have some dialogue back and forth about whatever topic that might be. Um, yeah, I would, I would love for that to happen. So here's, here's what I'm hoping to do this week. I'm hoping to do another marking up the word later on in the week. I know I keep on saying that for the last couple, but it's just been really busy, but I do want to do that. I love doing the marking up the word stuff. Uh, I know that, you know, the, you know, talking about these topics, I hope is more of a wider net for getting people to come in and have community here on my channel. Um, but, uh, you know, these marking up the words, that's where I want to go deep, want to go deep into the word and be helpful for you and also just beneficial for me. It's really good to be in the word in that way. Uh, Broderick, just one last time. Appreciate this. Blessings, brother. Thanks and keep putting out content. I'll be tuning in. Thank you, man. That's such an encouragement. I appreciate you. And yeah, I'll be back next Monday with another one of these Theo Live episodes. And like I said, be on the lookout later on in the week for marking up the word video to drop probably Thursday. Anyways, I'm really tired. Had a lot of turkey today. Uh, so it's, it's about bedtime for me. Happy Canadian Thanksgiving to whom it applies. Have a good night.